0: Let's get into the sermon today. Father, um, again, I don't know what I have to give. Um, Just a little bit, Father, just my attention, um, my hallelujah. So today I pray that you just help us keep that posture. I pray that you give us ears to hear and eyes to see minds that can comprehend hearts with fertile soil and feet that want to run with obedience. Pray that as we discuss by world standards, Father, a hard topic, that uh, your grace would be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. So if this is your first time here as a congregation, we, um, we are going through the book of Revelation. And we just finished the seven churches. And for those who've been here for most of those or all of those, have the seven churches challenged you? Any of you guys participating? And in the seven churches, what's kind of challenged me is most of the churches I said, is that me? Is that me? Is that me? Is that me? And it just really helps me understand my need for Jesus. But last week, what we ended up doing is we finished with the church of Laodicea, and Laodicea had this conflict within them, and the conflict that they had was they were very materialistic. Their hope and their trust was in their money, because if you remember, they experienced an earthquake, and this earthquake was this natural disaster that really wiped them out completely, And Rome had offered a bunch of aid to them. But what they ended up saying is, we don't need your help. We are fine. And kind of what we were gathering from that was this idea of when we are financially stable, when we are financially secure, when we put our security in our money, we can become independent and we don't need help from others. So spiritually speaking, sometimes when we are financially secure and we put our security in our money, what we end up doing is not um, worshiping at the feet of Jesus as much because we feel safe. We feel good. We feel like life is okay. And then 2008 hits, right? Right? And we hit a recession and then it's like, oh no, I've lost a lot of my money, now what? And then we hit 2022, late 2022, mid 2022 and into 2023 because some people even say the recession isn't over or we're heading into a greater recession. And um, we say, well, shoot, I'm more worried about my finances than I am worshiping God. Nevertheless, with that being said, um, this church, because of where they put their attention, they were not useful. See, you remember the aqueducts, aqueducts, whatever, aqueducts, they were neither hot nor cold, because where they were shipping in water from, by the time that it got to Laodicea, they were lukewarm. And what God ended up telling this church is you are not hot, so you can't be useful for, for proverbial healing. And you're not cold, so you can't be refreshed. And because all the distance that this water traveled now that you're here, you're just lukewarm. And the Laodiceans understood that being lukewarm was something that they wanted to spit out. They weren't useful because they were so distracted by their materialistic perspectives. So I picked on women about Target and Hobby Lobby, and I picked on guys about Harbor Freight and tools. So, um, and pizza and ice cream. Look, I might not be like a big tool person or like things like that, but you better believe I put a lot of my money in food. Can I get a witness? (laughs) And tools. So, typically what church land, just typical church culture, you have the end of the year state of the address to the church, and you say, hey, going into 2023, here's what's going to happen, and here's how good God is, and here's how faithful he is, and here's what he did all through 2020. Well, for us, I don't know if we are a typical church or not. I don't know. Maybe we are. Maybe we're not. But um, I didn't want to break up anymore because we had Christmas. I didn't want to break up the seven churches anymore. So if today is a state of address, I'm not really sure that it is. But it is following up with the Laodicean. So we're not in Revelation today if you haven't gathered that yet. The, we're following up with Laodicea and this idea of money. And it's like, really, this is my first time here? Or really, Joey, you're going to talk about money? Well, typically what ends up happening is I don't like talking about money. We don't talk about money. We don't announce each week, hey, um, commit to tithing and offering. We don't, we don't announce that. We actually quit passing the plate five years ago, so there's no plate that's passed. I don't say put your money in the back in the boxes, essentially what we say is worshipers are going to find ways to worship. So we don't even ask you guys and mention it. If it's your first time here, just come here for the next 52 weeks and you will discover that. We would appreciate that. Put me to test. So we don't talk about money, but here's here's one of the values that we do have is if it's in God's word, we're going to preach it. Amen. We're not going to back away from that. So, though I don't like talking about money, I also don't like talking about some other things that are hard as well. I don't like using the hard words of... I don't even know. I I, I don't even like using them. The hard words of sins, right? Adultery, premarital sex, porn, masturbation, fornication. I don't like using those words, but those words in a church need to be brought up sometime. Amen? So, (laughs) I don't know what word you guys, you guys, meaning me, myself. I don't know what word I don't like the church bringing up more. Lusts and adultery and fornication or money. See, it makes us cringe a little bit when the pastor or a leader talks about a sin in our life. And we say, why you got to talk about that? Why you got to step on my toes? And I know sometimes another word we don't like is sharing the gospel, the great commission, because that steps on our toes, right? Because it puts us in a weird position. Well, today we are going to talk about money and we are going to talk about what money means within church life. So that's important for us, isn't it? If God has an agenda with our money, then maybe we should discuss it. And I think I've sugarcoated it enough that we should be ready for today. We're ready for today because it's in God's word. So the Laodiceans were focused on money. Therefore, today we're going to talk about where we are headed as a church in 2023. So next week, God willing, right? Next week, we will will be starting Revelation chapter 4. So come here for your regularly tuned in, um, teaching on that. But um, as a church, there's things that, many things that we would like to do this coming year, and there's many things that we reflected on that we did last year. But through prayer, I don't have the exact number, um, I couldn't find my email, But we have planned over, as elders, we have planned over $15,000 more than we budgeted last year. And here's how faithful God was. Last year we planned our budget, and when we planned our budget, what was the number? Was it $5? $56? We were $56 under our actually planned budget last year. Praise God. Amen? Amen. That's really cool. And I'm not saying that the elders planned it well because we didn't. What I'm saying is there was a faithfulness within the givers and there was a faithfulness in in the planning. There was a faithfulness in God saying, hey, here's, here's the plans that we're blessing. We're not asking God to give us so much money that we're building additions to the church that we don't need. We're not asking God to give us money for 18 buses that we never use. What we're asking God for this church is God today give us our daily bread so that we can help feed the communities that we represent. Amen. $56, how cool. But this year we've planned over $15,000 more than historically that we've ever, not ever, but historically within the last year brought in. So if you're wondering, well why are you guys being dorks and doing that, each month you can find our financial reports on the bulletin board out there. So if you want to look at them, see how money's being spent here, you can go out and look at that. But as we discussed this with the elders, one elder response was this. Do we cut programs? Do we cut coffee? You're like, I'm out, you can cut programs, you cut coffee, I'm leaving. That's the only reason I come. That's the only thing that keeps me up during the pastor's sermon. <clears throat> do, we, do we cut programs? Do we cut coffee? Do we cut meals to the community? I like what we have come up with for vision and programs, period. Financially, this is not good practice to budget 18,300 more than our historical income last year. But through prayer, we believe this is where God wants us. He's got me one. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, that's my sister, but Oh no. I don't care. I don't know. One of her 65 kids might have been I don't even care. I don't know who's more embarrassed, Randy or me. (laughs) I don't know. A little bit of insight into our family relationship, right? I don't trust this pastor anymore. He won't even drink out of his sister's uh, whatever. Thank you, Scott. I almost forgot about that. But through prayer as a church, we believe that God has called us to plan over 15,000 more for this year. How many of you guys are excited about that? And you guys are like, yeah, I'm really excited because I'm really excited because someone else in the church is going to meet that need. Like, that's what we're all thinking, aren't we? Like, Mark Miller's going to, won't he do it? He'll give more. He's going to do it. So I do ask the question, though. What do we cut? Do we cut giving to Delton and Fernie? Do we cut giving to Bible Club? Do we cut kids' ministry or youth ministry? Do we shut the heat or AC off? Do we quit women's ministry? Do we stop supporting seeds of grace? Do we not have harvest parties or Thanksgiving gatherings where we provide food for the community? Even communities that we have, like this year, we provided Thanksgiving meals to people in Springfield that have nothing to do with Mechanics for Christian Fellowship. But as a church, what we believe is if there's a need, we want to try to meet it. So do we cut those things? See, that's where we knew we needed to keep on this path because we don't feel called to quit any of those. We don't feel called to quit blessing and helping and leading the people in Mechanicsburg and surrounding areas to Christ. So um, I'll share a story and then after I share the story we will watch a video. In this idea of what we're doing. And if you guys aren't familiar, as I shared earlier, we we have the opportunity and there's an open door and we just keep on praying that God keeps this door open into our community. But every Friday, we're able to go in during lunch and meet with 35 to 60 kids depending on the week. And we get a look at the Bible and read the Bible and have pizza and share the good news of Jesus. And uh, sometimes you just wonder, is this effort going anywhere? And then you get to be a track coach and there's boundaries as a track coach that you have to honor, right? But then when you take kids out to dinner, um, outside of that, then it's open game, right? So we've been pouring into, and I've been coaching back at Mechanicsburg back now for six years and pouring into the track program and trying to love kids. And then we've been doing Bible club for two years. And you just wonder, where are these friendships headed? Where are these friendships going? Like, Sometimes you feel like you're doing more than enough. Other times you feel like you're not doing enough. And just where are they headed? And uh, the girls' basketball team, their game got canceled on Tuesday. So then the boys were supposed to play Fairbanks on Friday. So they ended up putting those two games together. And that little gym was, that gym was smaller than the uh, youth room over there, right? I mean, so we were packed in there like sardines because everyone was there. So we told everyone we were gonna come support them, so we go to the game, we find a seat, Uh, we're sitting in uh, with a bunch of students, and then the girls ended up beating Fairbanks, that's a top 10 team in the state. Well, our girls is also a top 10 team in the state, so it was a really good game. So after the game, you go up and you say hi to all the um, kids and you congratulate them and high fives and you get your pictures, and then one of the kids, one of the star players was like, hey, uh, hey, Joey, um, today during warm-ups, I wore my I Believe in Jesus shirt underneath my warm-up. And I just knew that he was with me while we were playing, and that's why we won. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's not why you won. But just the idea, that, like, hey, I, I, I want to represent Jesus a little bit. Like, I don't, I don't think Jesus cares about winning losses. I think he cares about how we, how we honor him, whether we win or how we lose. Amen? And we've had those discussions with him. But she's like, hey, look, I wore, I wore my T-shirt. And I'm like, how cool. that!" Like, one of the first things that she wanted to say is not, hey, look, we won, but I wore my T-shirt. Like, something's working. Like, God's up to something. Not us, not Mark, not myself, not Jennifer, not the youth group leaders. God's up to something. So then, uh, you know, you just have the conversations with parents and other kids, and they're all smiling, and after they're smiling, then, um, look, you're just walking around, you make an eye contact with everyone, you made eye contact with everyone like five times. So then this uh, girl's dad, I made, you know, already had conversation with him, made eye contact with him again, and it was weird eye contact, and I'm like, well, it's only weird eye contact because we've made eye contact five times already. So I'm just gonna move on, talk to you later after the fourth goodbye, talk to you later, move on. Well, then I was talking to another student and then I heard him say uh, or say something to Macy and I thought I heard what it was, but now I'm in another conversation so I can't just jump and leave. And what he ended up saying is, hey, what time does your church start? We've been trying to organize. We've been trying to organize things in our life and we need to get back to church and we've really been wanting to um, do it again. So we're organizing things. What time does it start? Macy's like 10. And she's like, where what you have on? And he's like, really? Yes, it's just casual. And um, I was just so blessed, not because of my efforts. I don't think my efforts are anything good. But I was blessed because I see that God is, is doing something. Now, they're not here today, and that's okay, right? Here's what I was excited about is because of people who are in the schools who are positive influences, who are Christ believers, because of that, guess what's ending ending up happening? People are at least considering their relationship with the king of kings. Amen. What that person was doing is they said, hey, I'm considering my, I'm, I'm thinking about my relationship with God again. Amen. And I just think. How do we quit Bible club? Do we, do, we, do we just say, hey, church, you know what? We're going to plan under our budget this year, and we're just going to quit that. And you know what, Pastor Zoe? We would much rather you do more studying for your sermons and more counseling. So we don't want you to coach track anymore. Like, what do we quit? We can't quit that. God is uniquely doing something in Mechanicsburg within the school system. We can't quit. We need to keep on fighting and contending for the souls of the, of the lost here within this village. Amen? Amen. So do we financially quit that? I don't think so. But I did. Some of you guys saw the remind that I sent out uh, last week. And I talked to some of you guys who have heard some unique stories in. So we just have a short video that I want to watch of, of how God has been impacting people and through ministries here at the church. So uh, w- we have a video that we're going to watch of how God has been impacting um, some, some people, not all people here at the church. So let's watch that.
1: Teresa Ravenstein I've been at MCF for about 12 years Um, I've seen God move in numerous ways over the years but recently um, we have been feeding the kids the last few years we've um, done a Thanksgiving meal right after I mean the day before Thanksgiving when we were doing hot meal deliveries but this year we did things differently we did a like a family-style meal Joey wanted it to be family style and have the chicken, the turkey um, not carved, not taken off the bone, just the full effect. We went with nice table linens, nice dishes, and um, the kids, I really didn't think it would make a difference. But when um, I sat that turkey down on the table for the first table, it was amazing, the reaction. The teenagers were just, goofing off and being loud. And when I set it down, they just got silent and they were just in awe and so thankful for this meal and to be with their friends. And we usually have 30 to 60 kids, including coaches, some teachers. It is just an amazing night um, for these kids and just the appreciation that they have. But what was different this year is about two o'clock, there was a whole group of high school boys that came looking for Pastor Joey and Mark. And they were on their way. They weren't here yet, but they were on their way. And these boys had come just to hang out, play games, and have a good time here at the church with Pastor Joey and Mark. And what really impressed me and encouraged me is these boys had a day off school, and this is what they chose to do. They chose to spend their day at the church with playing games with Pastor Joey and Mark, and they could have chose so many other things, but it was so encouraging. And so after a long day cooking and feeding these kids, I went home as I drove home. My body was tired, but I was energized from the excitement of the kids and how encouraged I was from just how excited they were to be here. And I left after nine o'clock and they were still here. So they were having a good time. And that is just, very encouraging
2: hi i'm dave tomlinson i've been coming to mechanics for christian fellowship since 1986 and uh when joey asked me what does uh um how's mechanics for christian fellowship help me i was thinking that uh when i first came here in 1986 if you guys remember miami vice and don johnson and he had his white slacks his white shoes his white jacket with a teal shirt and believe it or not, I showed up the church the first Sunday just dressed just like that, and uh, lo and behold, that people just loved me, despite of my outer flaws. They just loved me, and then they helped me um, because where I grew up and stuff like that, I didn't grow up with much love, and um, and so they really helped me um, and just loved on me all through um, my life. They just continued to love on me. And, even though when I would stray left or stray right, they would continue to level me and look to bring me back. And then the other part that I think has been really good for me is that um, MCF has given me a safe place to grow over the years. So I've been able to, whether it be explore leading a men's ministry, I've been able to explore that. And then uh, um, I've been able to explore teaching Bible studies or teaching um, home groups and things along those lines. Sometimes things that took off, they weren't really great. And then sometimes when they were made from Dave, you know, they just, uh, there was me in, in a cricket in a room trying to teach something. And, uh, uh, so I think that's what I really uh, like most about mechanics for Christmas fellowship. I like the fact that, uh, through my time being here in 30 some years, um, they've loved me through the whole process. And, um, i think that's been the biggest thing um, for me at mechanics for christian fellowship so one of the, one of the things about the new mcf for me is how god's restored me it's been through the word and through the power of the word so knowing the word um, and believing the word believing that i am an oak of righteousness a plank in the Lord for this flavor splendor um, joey and the new mcf has done a great job of trying to teach us about the power of the Word of God, being in the Word on a daily basis, believing the Word, believing that if God is for you, He can be against you, that some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord and believing in that. And uh, so that's where it's been really great for me and why I really enjoy and enthusiastic about the new MCF is because of how Joey and the elders are leading us and to the foundation is the Word.
3: I'm uh, Liam Smith. I'm 17 years old. I go to Mechanicsburg High School. I'm new to Bible Club this year. I'm also new to this church. Uh, Last year, I skipped out on Bible Club, mostly because I've always been, I've always come from a religious family background, but I never really went to church. I never really read my Bible. I never, I just, I feel like I didn't really need it, but the truth is I did. Uh, Some things I've learned from Bible Club this year is getting closer to God. And that even if you don't think you need it, you really do. Um, But yeah, one day I was just walking by, Joey came by and said, Hey, want to just come in Bible club? I'm like, sure. I didn't think it really mean anything, but the truth is it did. And eventually I went to him and asked him, Hey, can we get together sometime? Maybe I can learn some more. And he did. And I've been doing that a long time since then. I've met with Mark a couple times a week. At times, I've gotten to know him really well. I've gotten to know Joey really well. I've just come closer to God in that way, really. So I've learned that sin is, I have learned that the Bible, I've always thought that it's a rule book, but the truth is it's a love letter. It's Jesus is, he's the creator first of all, then he's also our savior. And he put these rules in place because he wanted us to live our life to the fullest and when we break these rules we're basically turning away from him so when we turn towards him we turn away when we turn towards him we turn away from sin so jesus is the opposite of sin and sin is what separates us from jesus in that way Um, My life has changed so much. Um, I've definitely, I've come to peace a lot more. Um, I've come to accept different people a lot more. I have found so much more happiness from where I was before. Uh, It's just, I've definitely changed as a person a lot and I'm definitely a lot happier now than I was before. Don't wait. You could come back tomorrow, so. If there's any time to get closer to him and know him, it's now. Yeah. Oh, Jesus is King. Yep. I uh, bought it online. Best $50 I've ever spent in my life. But yeah, I absolutely love it. Jesus is King. How old are you? (laughs) I am 34. When was you born? 88.
2: 88, 86 is my first game. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. You know?
0: Who's going to win the Super Bowl?
2: Oh, the Bengals. Who day? Over the 49ers, you know,
0: 29, 26. Pretty cool, isn't it? When it came to questions for Liam, those, you saw the segments, right? We were just asking him impromptu questions and he was answering them. So he didn't have time to think about some of those questions. He just answered them out of the heart or out of the mouth overflows the heart. And just putting him... um, Putting the pressure on him and saying, Well, what have you learned this year at Bible Club? He's able to share. You know, I always thought that the Bible was a book of rules, but it's a love story. And sin, sin is opposite of Jesus. And then he can return at any time, so get right with him today. Now, we don't know if all the young people, or even the church, if they are retaining understanding of the Bible but I think uh, retaining the Bible first means that you can at least um, have a vocabulary. And what we see with the uh, young people right now is they're, they're developing a vocabulary to be able to voice what God is doing in their life. And it was really cool to see that out of Liam's mouth was overflowing things that he, he had been learning. Some of the things that we talked about was like week two. So it's really cool. I have one more story that I want to read. I asked... Um, Debbie Schaffner, if she could be here, but with the snow and some, some of my planning and her planning, we just couldn't make, make it um, that she could be there. But I asked her to write me something, and, she, and here's what she said. How is God impacting your life within the church, you ask? I have to say that I feel God's presence more than I can express during the worship part of the service. There are times during worship that I become very emotional, And I've had my granddaughter whisper to me saying, God is speaking to you, Grandma. I've never experienced that closeness to the Lord in my lifetime. I also enjoy the service the way that Pastor Joe is able to relate a lot of the scriptures to some real life experience, making it more relatable and easier to understand. And lastly, the 365-day Bible project, the Bible Challenge, is also another way that God has entered into my life and has allowed me to learn more each day that I read the Bible. This will actually be the first time that I've ever read the whole Bible. And I have to say, I am learning more than I ever have in my lifetime, allowing God to be a part of my life. And I'm glad to be a Christian and hope that one day that I can enter the gates of heaven. Amen. We as leaders take no credit for any of this. As people, we don't take any credit, amen? When we see God moving in people's lives, we just, we just sit there in awe and say, thank you. Why would you choose this church to be fruitful at all? Why would you choose this church to be fruitful in anyone's life? So God, I thank you, we thank you today. This is not a bragging service, this is only to bring honor to him, amen? God, thank you, thank you. If you guys thank him not about us this, I've, I've, I've been in many services before where, where it felt like churches were just saying look how good we are that's not my heart today if it comes across like that please don't hear that this is about him what he is up to so I'm just so thankful that, um, that he's been up to that within our community But we do have to get back to giving. What does God say about giving, about tithing? And we all have our opinions today, and we don't hate that. You guys, like, enjoyed the past 10 minutes. Now you're like, now you're ruining service. (laughs) You're you're stepping on his glory, Joey. No, we're going to preach the Bible today. So um, I think what my perspective that I'll have to share today will surprise many of you. But Paul urges um, the Corinthian church to step up their game, their their Christian game by giving. Here's what he says in 2 Corinthians eight verse seven. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the way that the love we have ki- and in the way love we have kindled in you. So you're excelling in all these things. He says, then do this. Since you're doing that, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So do these things, but since you're doing all these things, also excel in the grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that through, or sorry, that though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor so that through his poverty we might become rich. Amen? So the question is when it comes to giving we have to ask how much do I tithe? Do I tithe? Do I give? What percentage? To who do I give it? So I first wanted to look at the Old Testament because many of us have the perspective that we have to give 10%. 10% is the law. That's what it's understood as. If we don't give 10%, then we're bad human beings. So, Tithe is 10% or one-tenth. In the Old Testament, God commands his people to give their tithe. The tithe was a requirement of the law in which all Israelites were to give 10% of everything they earned and grew. um, Yeah, everything they earned and grew to the tabernacle or temple. In the Old Testament, people would have brought more than 10%. It wasn't just 10%. In the Old Testament, there were multiple tithes. There were three different tithes that uh, we're going to talk about. And the first tithe was the Levitical tithe or the sacred tithe. And we could see this in Numbers 18, verses 21 and 24. But this tithe was given to the Levites and the priests for their service to the temple. And the congregations in the Old Testament... So there was the Levitical tithe, right? There was also the tithe of the feasts. You find this in Deuteronomy 14, verses um, 22 through 27. For the sake of time, we're not reading them, but you should note them so you can make sure that what I'm preaching is factual, correct? So the tithe of the feasts. The second tithe was dedicated to the good of man himself for a vacation, and specifically a vacation with a God intention, so you go on a vacation to go spend time with God. So where there was the tithe of feast, And then third, the tithe for the poor. Deuteronomy 14, 28 and 29. The third tithe was for the poor. According to uh, the text in Deuteronomy 14, this tithe was given only every third year. As the text state. The produce had to be stored in your towers for the Levite, soldier, fatherless, and widow. I think it suggests that the distribution was not left to the individual, but was a community project to which everybody had to contribute. This tithe, therefore, was for the neighbor. So again, we've often thought that tithing was only 10%, but if we look at the Old Testament, it appears that tithing would be closer to 23% or 23 and a half percent. So if the standard within the church was to say, hey, you need to give 23 and a half percent, how many of you guys would would be happy with giving 10%? (laughs) Come on, somebody participating. How many of you guys would be happy with 10%? I would be happy with giving 10%. Can you imagine 23 and a half? Therefore, if the argument is that we should give 10%, the argument might be better stated based upon Old Testament scriptures that it's not 10% that we're supposed to give. The argument is that we are to give 23 and a half percent. And you're thinking right now, Joey, you go two ways with this. And I don't like that the number keeps on increasing. <laughs> yeah. So if you had to guess, what percentage within the American church, within the Christian church, what percentage does each family give tithing-wise? Two percent, three percent. What else do you guys think? Now, wait a second. We are Christians in here, ones who know that we have everything in Jesus Christ, we are believers who, who put their faith for their daily bread and him providing everything that we need. And the best answer that the church could come up with was the highest answer was 3%. That's really, you guys don't think that the church does better? Yeah, what? You, averages. Not just individuals, averages. What is the average? Is that, is that all the better we think about one another? Yeah, Bob Ravenstein's pretty cool, but he only gives, all I think about him is 3%. Why is it that we don't think higher about the church? Like the church is supposed to be the most giving people. And we should be able to say, in theory, I think that the church is giving 50%. Come on, somebody. Nobody? Don't you feel that a little bit? What's your feeling with the idea of giving 50%? What I feel when I talk about increasing my giving, when I feel that it's like, oh man, I trust my money a little bit too much, right? When I start increasing that number, it's like, oh, I trust my money. Well, I worked hard for my money. Jesus laid down his life. He became poor. He was rich and he became poor. So the church on average gives 2% of their money. Which makes that alarming as sons and daughters under the blood of Jesus. Look, you're just not a son or a daughter of your earthly parents. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, and get ready to share the gospel again, right? He died a death, we we were supposed to die. He rose from the grave for the atonement of our sins, and we become his sons and daughters, believing that we can't earn our way to heaven, but he is the only way to heaven. Amen? By his blood, not our works. If we are sons and daughters of his, and we trust him, and we're only giving 2%, we are giving less than those who are baby Christians. You and I have the blessing of having Jesus live inside of us. Amen? Amen? Jesus gets to live inside of us. So Jesus is living inside of us, and he actually says, hey, look, you're born again, and not only are you born again, I'm living inside of you, and now you are a new creation. So you and I, we're no longer these baby Christians of the Old Testament. And what I mean by that is, baby Christians in the Old Testament didn't get to have Jesus living inside of them. They had to go to a temple. They had to go to a tabernacle. Well, now Jesus tabernacles with inside of us. So we have a whole lot more than them right amen we don't have to go to a special place everywhere we go as born again believers he's with us we are no longer we no longer have to be christians on milk we get to be full-grown mature christians eating meat because he tabernacles within you and i so Baby Christians in the Old Testament were giving 23 or 23.5% to a God, to Jesus, that they didn't even get to have tabernacle in them. But yet, he gets to tabernacle in you and I, and collectively, as a global or or national church, American church, we give 2%. It's kind of sad, isn't it? Why isn't it that people that carried and possessed the Holy Spirit within their being would give more than that? So what are most people trying to do? What are are we trying to accomplish? And this is the shortened version of the sermon that, you know, I could preach, but what are people trying to do? We're trying to make more money. We're trying to give From what we have left over, here's the house I want, here's the car I want, here's the appliances I need, here's my food budget, and then after we plan our food, our house, our car, and everything else, then what do we do? We come back and then we say, well, here's how much I can give. And then retirement gets put in front of that as well. What God wants is for us not to give after, we, after what's left over, right? So we, we make more money. That's what we want to do. We want to give from what we have left over. We want, we want to give so that we can write off, and that number keeps on raising so it's harder to reach. We want to, uh, we want to give their percentages so that they can control the rest of what they do. So we want to we give our 2% or our 5% or our 10% or our 15%. We want to give that so that then we can say with the rest of the money, God, I gave my 10%. So since I gave my 10%, I get to do with the 90 what I want. I've been there. If I give this, I get to choose what I want to do with everything else. And actually, the fact of the matter is it's his money. He gets to choose every penny. Amen? So, um, yeah, so in an intimate marriage, it doesn't work that way. You don't say, I'll give you this so that I can do whatever I want. Most people are trying to store up wealth. Now, knowing that this is a sensitive subject, I know that there seems to be a balance, right? There has to be a balance. Now, biblically speaking, would I be wrong if I told someone to uh, give up everything and follow Jesus? Biblically speaking, I wouldn't be. Sell everything and follow him. You couldn't come to me and say, hey, that's irrational, because the Bible talks about selling everything and following him. Now, is that the only thing that the Bible talks about? Certainly not. So there is a balance. So don't hear me saying, well, the pastor told me if I'm not only giving all my money to the church that I'm a bad believer and I'm not following him. I'm not saying that. God wants us to have eyes outward and to trust him to provide though. So what do we do? What is the, so what do we see in the New Testament? So the Old Testament we saw 23, 23 and a half percent. What about now in the New Testament? Here's something interesting. Almost half the parables in the Bible relates to money. Almost half. Money is talked about more in the New Testament than heaven and hell. Money is talked about more than prayer in the New Testament. Hundreds of verses in the Gospels deal with money. What you're feeling right now is because money is not talked about. What you will not hear me say is name it, claim it. You won't hear me say buy this or by that, or the more that you give, then you'll get Lamborghinis and bigger houses. We're not going to preach prosperity here. We're just going to preach truth. Amen. And money is a conflict within the church. So as we teach about tithing today, if, if, if you up your game in tithing, I'm not promising you anything, not promising you a better seat at church, though the front row other than over here is open. You can come whenever you want. These are not reserved seats. We're not promising bigger houses, health, wealth, security, heaven, anything. What I hope as we look through scripture and the idea of money is what we're able to do is we're able to say, hey, I do trust money a little bit too much and maybe I'm not giving the way that I should. So God, I'm going to, by faith, trust you more. And then, you know what? When you trust him more, what does that do? You build a better relationship with him, amen? So in the New Testament, hundreds of verses in the Gospels deal with money. So we have to look at what culture did Jesus create around money with his people? Here's um, part of it is give from your first fruits. First Corinthians 16. On the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. On the first day of each week, each of you, so all of you, not just some of you, on the first day of each week, of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. So Paul is saying, hey, look, set aside your tithe and your offering so that when I come, like we don't, we don't have to waste time doing this, set a principle and a discipline that you're gonna put this money aside. Just put it aside for the church first. So the first thing that you do with your money is not go buy the new car or the new TV or whatever the new thing is you want. The first thing you do with your money is set it aside for his kingdom. Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of your crops. The first fruits of your crops. Not the leftovers, not the little pieces, the first fruits. Tithing is out of our first fruits. Tithing and giving to God should be out of our first fruits and not our last. Therefore, when we make a budget It should be, this is how much I'm giving to God, and this is what I have left. Not, this is, yeah, so we plan it, this is what I'm giving to God, and this is what I can live off of. Not, this is what I'm living off of, and this is how much I give to God. Amen? I know most of us have not planned our lives that way, because what ends up happening is Not that I'm doing this right, don't hear me patting myself on the back, but a lot of preachers or teachers have taught money in such a prosperity way that people get offended by it or then they die to it because they've given their money in hopes of something and they never got that. Or people are like, he's preaching a false prosperity gospel. So God gets the first of whatever you have. The next principle that we see that Jesus through his word um, says is, give cheerfully, not under compulsion as you are able. So I'm not sure it's about the percentage that we give. Now you're preaching, baby. Now you're preaching that 2% is good. I'm not sure it's about the percentage. Mark chapter 12, 41 through 44. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd put their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worthy only a fraction of a penny, or sorry, worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything. All she had to live on. Amen? These guys, the principle that we're talking about is these guys said, hey, I'm living off this. I'm giving out of my excess, my extra. And what this woman said is, God, I trust you. Jesus, I trust you. I'm gonna give you all that I have. They gave out of their wealth. And I believe that the American church, generally speaking, and I hate to say it, and I know I'm stepping on toes, my toes included, right? The American church is giving out of their wealth rather than their poverty. How do I know? Take me out of it. Take my opinion out of it. I just looked at the statistics. The American church is giving 2%. So... Clearly they're giving out of their wealth, not their poverty, because that number would be increased higher if they were giving out of their poverty. So God help us today, hear this. Not for church's sake or bigger buildings or anything like that, but for our relationship with you. Second Corinthians nine, seven. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, For God loves a cheerful giver. So we are to give out of our poverty. We're to give out of our first fruits. And we're to give not under compulsion we're supposed to see there's scary words within church land. And one of the scary words is repentance. We get scared of repentance because if we bring up the word repentance, that means that we did something wrong. Well, all of us in here are sinners and we fall short of the glory of God. So we shouldn't be afraid of repentance. We should celebrate repentance. Amen? But we're afraid of it. We're afraid to respond at the altar. We're afraid to stand up. We're afraid to ask for prayer. We're afraid to ask for healing because that means that there's something wrong. Well, Something is wrong with all of us. Not until one day on the other side do we become completely whole. So we're afraid of repentance, but guess what we're also afraid of? Giving. We're afraid to give. We're afraid to be a cheerful giver. And what God is saying is, don't put so much in your money that you should be able to be happy about giving. It's another thing that doesn't have to lord over your life. Be a cheerful giver. So I'm not sure what the amount is. And, 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 and I know many of you guys are saying, okay, well, you said 23 and a half percent, and now you maybe said the amount doesn't matter. So what amount do we need to give, Joey? What amount do you want me to give? Well, sometimes that'd be easy if I just told you what to do, right? But the journey with God means you spend time with him, and you have a relationship with him, and you talk to him about those things. So how much do I give? What's the number? What's going to make you happy, Joey? Well, it doesn't matter what makes me happy. What matters is what makes him happy. Amen? So how much do we give? We, We look in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, 44 through 45. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. So what were believers doing? They were selling everything to meet the needs of other people. So what does that make them? Very generous. They were generous people. They weren't hoarding their things for a rainy day. They said, Jesus, we trust you. I'm giving you more. Amen? It's scary. Acts 4, 34 through 35. There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put them at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. And as I'm reading that, I'm saying, God, that's impossible. I'm telling myself that's impossible. And then what I hear is not in like a Tim Tebow way, nothing is impossible through Christ. But actually, because Christ lives in me, it's actually possible for me to live the life that that is that generous, It is possible for me to sell a car or a house and make things work. And the biggest lie that the enemy comes in, or one of the biggest lies that the enemy comes in and speaks to us is, it's not possible for you to live without such, or this, or that. Because it's in the Bible, I believe it. Amen? Because it's in the Bible, it doesn't mean my heart has to like it or agree with it because it's in the bible it's true it is possible for a church it is possible for a congregation it is possible for a nation and for a world to be so giving that we sell all of our possessions to meet the needs of people around us so look i sell my house and my car and then dave gayler's like well hey you need a place so he's like i'm gonna sell mine So then he sells his so that I can get up into a two-bedroom bunk bed apartment with Travis. So now he's got me with Travis and then Bob Ravenstein or Stu or Randy and Jordan are like, well, I'm gonna sell my cars. So they sell their cars and they meet the needs. And we just keep on trusting and trusting and trusting and trusting God. So we can be generous people that way. Acts 20, 35 it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Amen? It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. See, they gave as much as it cost to meet the needs of others in the New Testament. They gave out of their poverty. They weren't clinging to it. Because wisdom would say, if you only have two pennies, don't give it away. Only give out of the excess the overflow, but wisdom before God is, God, I'll give you and trust you with everything. Do you guys trust God with everything today? See, it seems as if the church only trusts God with the new job promotion. We only trust God with the bigger house or the better house. We only trust God with the new car. Why don't we trust God in the poverty for our last two pennies? And I'm not asking for your last two pennies today. I know that preachers can get you all emotional and then ask for your last two pennies and how many people have came up and gave their last two pennies out of a emotional response rather than a response to God, right? I'm not asking for your emotional response to the message today. But it's better, uh, more blessed is it to give than to receive, So they they were willing to meet all the needs. See, in the New Testament, God doesn't set the standard of giving 10 to 23% because he actually wants his people to be willing to lay it all down. We don't hear Jesus in the New Testament. We don't hear the apostles saying, here's the percentage that you should give because what Jesus says is he wants everything from you. God wants our heart to trust him with everything. He provides for the birds, the animals, the grass. How much more does he want to provide for you and I? Amen? He wants everything from you. Everything. And I go back to 2 Corinthians as we wrap up. But since you excel in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in love, we have kindled in you, see that you excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that that through his poverty, might become rich, so that through his poverty, you might become rich. So the example that Jesus set was he's willing to lay down his life, he, became, he was rich, and now he became poor for your betterment. And what the standard is he set, that he sets is, are you willing, those who are rich, and we're all rich, you're like, well, I don't have any money, the average salary in the world is $2 a day that though you are rich, are you willing to lay down your life for others? For others. So what example did Jesus set? That though he was rich, he became poor for others' sake. And I believe that is Jesus' true heart for giving. That we will be willing to lay down everything for the sake of others. There's no age limit either. There's no age limit of, well, once you hit 35 and you have your mortgage... Or once you, once you turn 12, then you can start tithing. Little kids can start tithing on allowance. I mean, like, I know it's kind of funny to think about, but wouldn't that be like just the pure heart of a little kid saying, like, I made 750 this week, so I'm going to give God whatever I agreed upon? And parents are like, now, wait a second. That got taxed multiple times, and now you're giving away my money? There's no age to tithing. And guess what? You don't out age tithing either. So, do we need to tithe? Yes, we do. It is a core competency for the church. I see it. It has to happen. It is an expression of our love and trust of God because He is the one who gives us power to make wealth. Giving to God also benefits eternal things. When God gives you more, it isn't to increase your standard of living, but your standard of giving. Amen? I I just know that most of the time when people get the promotion, it's like, if I keep on at this rate, then one day my dream house will come. Or look what else I can afford. Anyone ever been there? Come on now. We've, we've, we've all been there. Man, I got this promotion. I got this bonus. Now look what I can do. And my heart has to shift from that. How do I increase my giving rather than just my living? And you can do them both at the same time, so don't hear me being critical, right? You can increase living and giving all at the same time. Francis Chan once um, He was increasing his giving, and um, essentially he felt like God told him one year, you're going to give away $50,000. And he said, God, I don't even make that at the church. How am I going to give away $50,000? But he, by faith, was just trusting God that he's going to give away $50,000. So what he ended up doing is he trusted God, and he gave away $50,000 his wife was working at that time. He gave away $50,000. That next um, year, he wrote this book called Crazy Love. Crazy Love gave him over a million dollars worth of money. And what was funny is after he gave away $50,000, he felt like God told him he was gonna give away $150,000 the next year. So after he wrote Crazy Love, guess what he did? Gave away $150,000. Amen. So we can't outgive God. And I'm not saying that if you give more, that you're Francis Chan and he's gonna give you more. I'm not saying that at all. He might, he might ask you to give more, and you might need help getting food. And he might want you to be giving so much because he wants the body to work together and learn how to help one another. Amen. So, yeah. He doesn't give to increase our standard of living, but our standard of giving. We don't give to meet out of a requirement. We don't give to get, um, we don't give to get, or we don't give to get noticed. We also don't give to be loved more by God. So what is a good starting place? Joey, what is the number? How much should I be tithing? Just give me the biblical number, what it is, and we'll do it. And again, I don't believe that that there is one, because what Jesus asks asks of us is for us to give everything. So the good starting place is this. Give because you believe in the goodness of God and out of a, a desire to serve his purpose and advance his kingdom. Give out of your first fruits, not what you have left over. And when you give, be consistent in it. Be non-negotiable in it. I understand, and it's okay, and thank you, Jesus. Giving will increase this week. Good. I just, I I don't want giving to increase because we get more money in. We, We get to meet our budget, maybe. I want giving to increase because you've agreed with God, and your relationship is growing with him, and you trust him more. So be consistent in it. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. You can't outgive God. And when you give, be glad about it. Be willing to lay down everything for Him. So pray this week and ask God for a number by which you are supposed to give. And there is the question hey, Joey. Um, I give to this 501C3 and I give to that 501C, is that tithing to the church. I believe scriptures talk about tithing to the church. I believe scripture also talks about being generous and giving to other organizations. So be careful with saying, well, I give whatever, people always come back to, I wanna start at 10%. Be careful saying, well, I give 3% to the church, 3% to that organization, 3% to this organization. and 1% to that organization, and that's my 10. Don't do it that way. Agree to a number by which you're supposed to give to the church, and then ask, uh, <clears throat> ask God, who else am I supposed to bless? Finally, yeah, pray this week and ask God for a number. And then um, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So am I saying that if you sow money, you're going to get more money? No, but maybe if you sow more money, we're going to see more kids in Mechanicsburg come to Christ. Maybe we're going to see more prison ministry or Seeds of Grace flourish, or Delton and Fernie be able to meet more hospital bills as they're dealing with... um, Cancer, or kids um, coming to nights of worship, or women having their fun days, or men's, or men going hunting, fishing, and eating beef jerky, but the random guy coming and coming to know Christ. There's so many things that can happen. So I just wanted to let you know. For probably like my twice a year announcement, is here at the church. There are a few ways for you to give. We do not pass the plate. Uh, as you notice, we don't rarely bring it up. But you can go to our, our website, www.mcf-online.com. And um, in the far right, there's a giving tab, right? So you click the giving tab, and then you can give by credit card that way, or debit card, whatever kind of card. Just not Chipotle gift cards, we do not accept those the system won't, won't take it. So it has to be some kind of, or Panera, or Starbucks. It, it, it just won't. So it um, has to be your card. You put it on there. And um, yeah, so that seems to be the easiest. But on there, what you can end up doing is you can sign up for a one-time donation or you can sign up for a reoccurring donation. What Macy and I do is we agree upon our amount and then the frequency that we're going to do it, and then what we do is we just lock it in. God, for this next year, here's what we believe you want us to give, so here's what we're going to give. We lock it in, we're done with it, so then every two weeks it comes out. And um, our yes was our yes, and then now when money gets tight, it's like that comes out first. So actually, the way that the system works here is it seems like tithe. Literally, the way that we have it set up, set up, I get paid, and then tithe is already processing for me. And um, so it's literally out of the first fruit. So every other week it comes out, and then the way that I do it is, if you set it up to reoccur, there's a fee that you have to pay, like you're not paying for the reoccurring fee, you're paying for the transaction. So they end up charging you for the transaction. So then what ends up happening is if, if you pay a hundred bucks, then what is the fee? Whatever the fee is, let's just say it. There's a banking fee and then there's also an So the ACA, yeah. So essentially, just basic numbers. Sorry, I don't have them, right? Like you won't be signed up for tithe, then you don't even have the numbers. So essentially, if you pay a hundred bucks, then you you would pay three dollars and fifty cents, and then the church loses that money, right? They take that for the charge. So, or what you can do is you can set up your bank account, and then it will only take like thirty-five cents now, thirty cents. So it used to be 25, now it's 30. So now you set up your bank account. Every transaction that you ever make, it'll only take 30 cents out and then we're good. So you can sign up online to do that. We also have the boxes at the back of this room. And there's also an option to text to give. So um, I know most of you will not use that, but if you wanted to text to give, you could text the number 84321. And then you could put in in the subject line any amount, so a million dollars. We'll just start there. (laughs) Living out of our poverty, right? (laughs) Money I don't have. So a million dollars, you type in one milli, and then what ends up happening is it'll send you a text back, and then you would just click Mechanics for Christian Fellowship and follow it. So those are ways that you can give here at the church. I think the best way to give is... um, online it's easily tracked you can look at all the money that you have given each year it creates an account for you you can print off your receipts it's easily documented and then if you don't want to give that way I mean we accept cash and check there's giving envelopes if you want that tracked so that at the end of the year you can write that off so you guys okay with the giving tithing sermon today you coming back to church next week I stand on God's truth, so if you're not here, please, let's get together and wrestle some more. I encourage you, I encourage you to pray and ask God how you can regularly give. And I think the best way to do it is to agree to it and then sign up for auto-deductions online, because it means that your yes was your yes. You have to make, if, once you sign up for auto-deduction online, you have to make that tangible decision to get on there and delete everything off, right? You have, you have to say, I'm done tithing, I'm out. So you have to get on there. Now, if you just say to yourself, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to give insert number every week. Well, some weeks you forget. And then the next week you're like, I'm not going to make it up. And then you start your yes is now a no. So either way, God, we thank you. We thank you that you ask us to give everything. And we understand that we can't. But you help us meet that need. So I pray that um, we would hear clearly this week of how you want us to trust you rather than trust our money. Thank you for just the fruit that you've been producing here within our lives. There's so much more that I've heard throughout the past couple weeks, Father, and we thank you for that. We love you. May we uh, walk out of here worshiping you. In Jesus' name, amen.